Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. And welcome to episode 138 of the Galen Trombley Show. I'm really looking forward to this one. It's been a while since we've, we've uh, talked, got to hang out, but um, Dr. Craig Hurwitz is in the house today and one of the coolest, most interesting guys I know, one of the smartest guys I know. Um, actually, I should say that you're kind of like a renaissance man. I just feel like I, you got a lot that... I think I just have too many hobbies and energy and I see people do stuff and I just love, I love making things and doing stuff and... I came in today, and go ahead, you can tell me <laughs> no, about no, that. No, no, I want you to tell about this. This is uh, amazing. No, actually, it it's was my COVID, my COVID hobby. So, <laughs> you know, for my, for my office, I had to, uh, you know, we, we embroider all of our scrubs and stuff with our names and our, our logo on it. And I was like, oh, I was spending so much on embroidery. I'm like, I got to get a little machine, a little brother embroidery machine, and I can, like, stitch these things out. And uh, then I decided, oh, you know, I want to I expand to hats. But once you go from embroidering, like, a shirt to a hat, it's a whole new level. So... I could have gone crazy. Uh, Dina pulled me back and I got like a basic hat embroidery machine, which was still pretty steep. Uh, but I love making hats for people. I made, I, I made uh, Galen this, this nice little logo, which I love, um, of just his hairstyle plus his The Galen Trombley Show. Th- this um, so th- this logo neat. blows away what I have right now. That's awesome. Like I, I've actually thought about, I actually thought about we're probably going to look into switching this now. I would I like, like to present this logo to you as a <laughs> gift from Northern Nefra. <laughs> So please wear that hat. The uh, yeah, this I'll, I'll put I'll post a photo later for everybody to see. But this is absolutely amazing. And oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I'll tell you a funny story real quick because I uh, this morning literally I woke up because I, I was on call last night. I got called in late last night. Um, I wanted to do it something for you yesterday, but I couldn't do it. And then I woke up this morning at like six thirty, and I'm like, Dean, I gotta. Dina's my wife. I'm like, I gotta get up and, and quick whip off a hat. You did this this morning. I did it. I digitized. I made it. Came up with it and did it all this morning while you were golfing. You were probably on the I, ninth hole while we golf I, early. Yeah, yeah. we got to get back. So it's so in any case, I amazing. I made one, but I I didn't do eyebrows on it. And Dina's like, oh, it's like missing the eyes. And I'm like, you know what? Oh, if right. I throw eyebrows on it, it'll it'll bring it together. But I didn't want to put facial features. Once you start doing too much, it takes away from it. This is brilliant. It's brilliant. It's really good, right? Like the hair, or the beard. I, yeah, I, I, I'll it. post. Everybody will see this, but it is one of the actually the perfect gift. Like, you and actually, given. what's funny is the art of stitching is is really cool. Look at the stitch angles on the beard versus the hair. See how the oh, angle right. of the Vertical stitching. And yeah, yeah. Like... So I mean, there's little subtleties, and then when you're stitching on hats. Yeah. Um, the other thing, this is like a trucker cap for because you guys can't see this. Um, but basically, you see you have the seam up the middle, like letters. You wouldn't stitch it like you would stitch regular things. I've watched so many videos and I've learned so much about embroidery on caps but this one really can't, i'm getting yeah. so good i can whip them off very fast yeah well, so I, i've actually never looked at that like how yeah with the seam wow yeah, you're right it's pretty there's, a lot, there's of, a lot there's a lot of subtleties a lot of to it you there. can screw up hats really fast and you can blow through hats badly wow um but yeah once you start getting the tricks down it's like and this little is tricks the, uh, of the, the rich, sweet cap but it's like yeah, the richardson it's cap. cap it's but it, these things are great yeah those are good caps um, so you'll golf in that and Oh, I'll wear it around. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I just did my, my hair because, like I said, I was rushing in from the golf course and uh, 
like I said, kind of scrambling to get all ready, but otherwise I'd be wearing it right now. But I'll probably wear it later today. Yeah, for yeah, sure. for sure. Um, so Craig, for people that don't know you, kind of give us a little bit of like background, who you are, what you do, where you came from. Cool. So uh, my name is Craig Hurwitz, and uh, I was I was actually born in Connecticut, but I grew up in Westchester downstate in Ossining. And, uh, you know, I went all through my schooling, elementary school. I was a hyperactive kid. Um, I was always smart and worked hard, but I had a lot of energy just like now, like doing lots of different things. We actually met doing CrossFit and, uh, and then, you know, after high school, I went through SUNY Plattsburgh and I mean, SUNY, SUNY Albany, okay. yeah, SUNY Albany and, uh, got my biology degree and I met my wife there. And then I did some research after that and kind of fell in love with, with science and research. And then it was during that time I met uh, a mentor who was really important to me, this guy named Arnie Copen, and he was a neurologist and I worked in his lab and, uh, he was like, you need to go to med school. And then at that time I just kind of decided, Hey, I'll go to med school. And I applied to some state medical state medical schools and I went to downstate and from downstate I met an, I met another mentor this guy Mano who was a nephrologist and I saw him and and he was just a brilliant guy and he taught me so many things about sort of struggling to learn things and the more that you struggle or have pain with things like that the more you work and have to struggle with decisions and what you're going to do the the more meaning that has for you. And so I just fell in love with things about nephrology, kidney, which is kidney specialty. And then from there, I was like, all right, I'm going to go to UVM for my medical training, for my residency, internship residency. And while I was there, I knew I was going to be a kidney specialist. So then I met the, met the kidney team there. And in, as my first day as a medical intern, I kind of, I met this guy, Alan Siegel, who was from Yale, this brilliant guy. And, and I was like, Alan, I'm going to be a nephrologist. And you know, like that's like a freshman you were a kid coming into time, college. Right? I was a kid yeah. in the medical field. And uh, he was like, well, we'll see, you know how you do. And I took every elective with this guy every time I had time. And uh, he, he basically was another mentor for me. And from there, I just did research with him. We wrote a bunch of papers that were really important to my career. He was like another pivotal person for me. And from there, I was at UVM for a while doing research. And this was like from 96 to 2002. And then in 2002, I kind of got offered a position, but it wasn't great. And I really, I was developing software and doing some other things. And I just decided I needed to be in my own practice where I could really develop some of these ideas I had for software and medicine. And actually, I interviewed with a computer company in Burlington at the time called Problem Knowledge Couplers, which was this guy, Larry Weed, who's a genius. He's a physician also. And uh, he was like, Craig, you know, this is too, it's too early on. We're not there yet. You need to get a job. You have three kids. You know, he was like, he basically was, was telling me that this wasn't what they were interested in, but it was about decision support in medicine, which now is like pivotal. And uh, from there, I was like, oh, if I go to Plattsburgh, you know, if I come over here, they really needed someone. I called the kidney specialist here, which was Dr. Malseptic and Dr. Carbone. And they were like, yeah, we really need help. And I was like, good, I'll come over, but I can't work for anybody. I have to work for myself. So I just set up my own shop and they were very good to me. We like shared call, but I really, uh, the first, when we first moved over here, literally we had three kids in uh, diapers, you know, pretty much it was like four, two and one. And, uh, and in my upstairs of my house, uh, I set up six computers and I had them all networked and okay. And I'm like, all right, well, the secretary's here and she's going to do this. And I started setting up all the processes for the business, how it was going to run. So you ran out of your house? No, I was programming all the software cause it was all custom software and then with six computers. And then 
we, I got into my office building. I set the computers up and we had our first bookings patients coming in and, and I had everybody trained on how they were going to do stuff. And, and we just started going from there. So it was, I'm, I'm a process guy. So, and so it was pretty, so anyway, then my practice, that, that was basically the beginning of Northern nephrology, which is my private nephrology practice, which has grown. And, um, and that's my story. So, so we're going to strip this back a little bit. Strip so it for, back. For, for, first off, why, why did you go into, uh, nephrology or nephrology? Yeah. Nephrology is the study of kidney. And it's how the kidneys function and it's our body chemistry and, and kind of as humans, as we evolved, um, you know, you can imagine like cellular organisms when they were floating in the ocean, you know, excretion and everything could happen because there was salt water surrounding the cell. Um, but as we kind of moved to land like amphibians and, and then the kidneys became very important developmentally because the kidneys are what maintain the fluid that is surrounding all of our cells. So in our body, we have all these cells, which, which contain the intracellular fluid, mm -hmm. right? And on the outside of those cells, the extracellular fluid is what those cells float in. So we basically have to maintain a sea in our body that these cells can float in okay. so that they will function normally. And, and really the most amazing thing about this little interface between the inside of a cell and the outside of the cell is that there's such a huge differential in potassium that it creates a battery, creates a charge. It's a voltage. So we have this huge voltage in our body that's always there that makes every function in our body work. So whether it's you seeing something, whether it's some hormone being secreted like insulin from the pancreas, whether it's your muscle function, like a skeletal muscle contracting, all these cells can do their function because our cells have such a high potassium on the inside and such a low potassium on the outside that that voltage is the driving force for what makes things happen. So, so when I started to learn about body chemistry, cell tr what's called cell transport you know how do we do that how does all that maintenance happen and, and what happens when things go wrong with that system you know there's one thing when things are working normally but once channels and pumps and things in the cells start to malfunction you know what diseases show up how do you manage them i got super interested in that and i was like i need to be and it was this guy mano i met in med school who was the first one that taught me this concept of what's called infinite gain it's just our body's ability to like keep trying to reach some balance. I can make something go wrong in your body and no matter what you'll do, your body will try to find its way back to some equilibrium. It may mean that you put on 10 pounds of fluid. It may mean that your body retains more of something, but it will figure out a way it's to try to survive. To, it will. And when you die is a point that it can't find that balance point anymore. And that's when things go bad enough that you can't survive with that malfunction. Um, so it's really that that's when I fell in love and it's very mathematical. Like I always felt like nephrology, I could calculate an answer. A lot of times doctors were like, oh, well, let's try this. Let's try this medicine. And with nephrology, we could really do some equations and be like, if I add 3.2 liters of water and a little bit of potassium, 40 milli equivalents, this is going to normalize. And, and it's really fun. And I love explaining this to patients in very simple terms. I love talking to them about water problems or potassium problems because a lot of people get referred to me with what are called electrolyte disturbances. Their body's not regulating correctly. Something's off. And, but basically, that's, that's why I went into nephrology. I fell in love with that concept of transport and balance. Is the kidney or nephrology, is that the only 
thing you could have went into that would satisfy what you wanted to do? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, is there know, an alternative? Um, there's, you know, there's no alternative to the kidneys. If the kidneys are gone, you're gone. But, um, uh, but I, in terms of other organs, yeah, I like, was fascinated. Like, I love medicine. Like, could you have done it like with neurology? You know, like, so neurology um, is very much channel related, but the, the defects in neurology were not as interesting. I kind of felt like neurology from my standpoint when I saw it was like, oh, something went wrong with the brain. The neuro neurological exam is really fun because you can try to figure out, oh, where was the problem? Um, but then you get an MRI and you go, oh, there's the problem. You know, so but you can kind of figure it out from an exam, too. So neurology, cardiology, I thought was really interesting. I love the heart. But then again, the heart's just a big muscular pump. The kidney, it doesn't even move. And it does all this stuff, and it's a super powerhouse. So the kidney is the only place for me. So, it's my only home, GT. <laughs> Nothing else would satisfy me like so, that. So because like you said it's, um, or you said your mentor, it's a little more challenging. So it's kind of more you get a little more uh, satisfaction out of it. When yeah, I, I like a challenge, but I also just loved. I love the concepts. I love the work that it did. To me, it just it it clicked for me as a spec. And everybody else hated it. And so maybe that was the other thing about it. It's almost it. like going into band and they're like, you're, like I play the French horn. Cause I was yes, kind of like, Hey, right. play the French horn. Nobody's going to play it. They're the, all going to play saxophone. They're going to play flute, clarinet. The kidney is definitely the French horn okay. of the human orchestra <laughs> so, of the human band for so, sure. So, uh, when you're, so what is it? I guess the primary function of the kidney? Did you, I mean, you said a bunch is that, yeah. So, so, I mean, the kidney does many jobs, but really it, it keeps us, as we all know, we urinate. Mm -hmm. And so one of the big things it does is it keeps our fluid in balance. So you have a, medium or a large coffee and then you go to the bathroom and urinate and your body stays in a nice fluid balance um, so you don't swell and you don't get short of breath from extra fluid in your body um, the other things it does is it balances our blood pressure so it maintains our blood pressure normal and it keeps all of our electrolytes normal so if you decided hey I'm gonna eat four bananas you wouldn't die from that um, but if you take someone with no kidneys who has got zero kidney function and they sit down and eat four bananas and some tomato and they're, they could die from a high potassium and that's how critical it is. And it's so critical that it has to do this balance like drop for drop. And I mean like milliequivalent for milliequivalent. And when you look at these cells and the research that I did was studying the electrophysiology, like the electrical activity of cells in the kidney, which are called transport cells. They're a lot like your head. They have like, uh, you know, your hair and our logo here. Yeah. It's like if you look at a kidney tubular cell, if you imagine a beard right? And the beard part is floating in the urine. Your, okay. your beard okay. would not be floating. Let's go My there. Old beard Let's go My there. Old beard, yes. Yeah. So it's floating in the urine. And then you imagine your hairs on your head are floating in the blood. And so the blood is in your body. So the, the hairs on your top of your head are trying to figure out, Hey, what? There's a little low potassium in the blood. And then the other side of the cell goes, Oh, you're low on potassium. Let me pull a little more potassium out of what's coming out in the urine. So we don't put too much out. And so, and this is happening at like picoamps. This is happening at such a small level. One little channel opens and one potassium shoots through there. And it, it is balanced like ridiculously to the ion. And so that's what's so neat about it. Um, but, but these cells I actually just gave a talk to my nurses recently. Um, I love potassium because potassium is one of the most important. It's actually the most abundant ion in our whole body. And we all heard the word, you know, we all yeah. know about potassium. Yeah. Oh, I'm cramping up. Let me have some potassium. I worked out or I sweated. Um, but potassium is, is really, really critical. And I gave the talk and I always show my nurses a picture of a kidney epithelial cell. 
And the epithelial cell is just like what I described. The hair is on the top and the hair is on the bottom. It's this really funky looking cell that looks like two cells. But I always, and then I put a nursing hat on it and I said, if someone can give you your job description as a dialysis nurse, it's this job's, it's the job of this cell, which is transport. It's making sure that electrolytes are balanced. It's making sure that your fluid is balanced. It's making sure your blood pressure is normal. And then there's a few other jobs that kidneys do because this goes back to your question. They regulate your blood counts. People don't know that. You know how you have like, like, like anemia, red cells and like blood, your and red white cells. cells. Yeah, most the red cells. Okay. So red cells come from the bone marrow. We have blood, you know, floating around in our body and our, our, you can check our hemoglobin level, which usually would be like 14 to 16. That's kind of normal. But as you develop kidney failure, you can become anemic. And that's because the kidneys regulate how much blood is in our body. So if I whacked your leg off and you started to spew blood onto the street and your kidneys would all of a sudden burst out all this hormone to tell your bone marrow, Galen's bleeding, we need blood. And so the kidneys would, would tell the bone marrow, make more blood. And the, wow. and the bone marrow would start pumping blood out. So the, it's pretty neat. The kidneys are, do a lot of really cool jobs and a lot with vitamin D regulation. And, and a bunch of other electrolytes, really important ones like phosphorus, which no one hears about. And phosphorus turns out to be probably one of the most important things for all of our health even before we have kidney trouble and there's tons of phosphorus in the food we're eating because first of all, fast food is pumped full of phosphorus because phosphorus is a great sort of preservative. Um, but nobody really knew that phosphorus was so bad for us. Even healthy people, if I pump you full of phosphorus, that's going to cause your blood vessels to start to calcify. It's going to make your heart not pump quite as well. Could even make your heart thicken a little bit. Um, because it triggers all these growth factors. So phosphorus, so my big point for everybody is eat less dairy, maybe one serving a day or less. And number two, stay away from processed foods, mostly because processed foods are loaded with phosphorus. Um, and those are two health points that I think are really, uh, important. So I, I remember at one point you said you like, you don't drink dairy, you drink almond milk, you drink. Yes. So like what's, um, like what's some stuff? I, I guess how much dairy do you drink? Do you drink any or have any dairy? No, do you have I mean yogurt? Uh, do you have occasionally. Cheese? No, uh, occasionally I'll have cheese if I come across it. So like if if we're having dinner and there's mozzarella cheese, I won't not eat it. But I eat very little. I probably eat cheese once or once a week if I get into it. If it's there, I don't actively put cheese on it. I'll never order something with cheese on it. Um, I really don't eat animal protein much anymore, except if there's okay. UFC fights and I have a couple of wings. That's my weakness. Okay, all right. So like it's I love not like wings. it's not like I'm hardcore. Uh, vegan, but I definitely believe eating a lot less animal protein and a lot more plant-based foods is the healthiest diet for us. Um, do, do you count fish in that too? Yes, that's animal. I tell my patients anything so fish, with so fish wouldn't be in there. Fish would be yes, it's animal protein. Is pescatarian? Yeah, pescatarian. So you would eat fish or wouldn't I, eat fish? But I do eat some fish, okay. but it's still considered animal protein. So if it can look at you, if it has eyes, it's animal protein. So what? Uh, that's good. So what? Um, like, where do you get most of your protein from? Uh, most of my protein is from uh, vegetable sources. So vegetables have a ton of protein in them, as, which most people don't do. realize. Um, yeah, everything. Right. Yeah, so most of them have 10, 11% protein. So they really have a lot of protein in vegetables. Like lentils and, and yeah, beans. Yeah, and, and beans. Um, I eat, uh, you know, I eat tofu. I eat tempeh. Um, you know, those are really the big ones. What a, this is what I've always, for like tofu, it, it, tempeh is also... Like same sort of thing. Same. So what's the thought about that? Cause that's, isn't that a 
man-made or or that's not like you naturally found. Yeah, you can't like go no. find tofu out in the ground. Yeah, or something. No. So yeah, but I think you know these things are just look. It's you know there there are ways for us to put sort of plant-based sources, soy sources, and other things together for us to get to get the protein that we need. But even with just vegetables alone, without those, you can get enough protein with beans and other things. Um, the, you know, you do need to like take a B12 supplement cause you can get a little B12 deficient if you're really purely never eating any animal protein. Okay. So that's probably one of the only things people have to look out for. But the other thing is, is I don't really push people to be vegan or vegetarian. I try to typically for, I do take a really good dietary history on every patient I see. And I'm always like, take me through your usual day. It's a work day. You woke up, let's go what you ate. Mm-hmm. And, and we're all pretty simple. We eat the same things every day. And so I always tell them, and they're like, oh, you know, a sausage, egg, and cheese in the morning, and I have a turkey sandwich for lunch, and then I have and a glass of water, and then I have like chicken, vegetables, and rice for dinner. And I go, that, those are all healthy foods. You know, you're doing a good job. Let's try to cut the animal protein back to once a day. Have your chicken with dinner. And then try to have mostly vegetables, a little bit of fruit, oatmeal, something like that in the morning and keep the dairy to once a day. To me, that's a sensible diet. Um, so that, that's really and, what I look at. And what's the benefit of that? Like what's it right? Like what, what would be the, yeah, what I think would be the benefit the big, and what would it regulate? One of the big, for people with kidney disease, mm-hmm. the less animal protein, animal protein puts a lot of pressure on the kidney. So if you're a big, and this has been shown in studies, if you're a big animal protein eater, you're going to end up, and you have kidney failure for whatever reason, you will gradually, you are much more likely to end up on dialysis. So your kidneys will gradually fail. And uh, for with any type of kidney disease, it doesn't matter what caused the problem. And, and animal protein gets broken down into nitrogen. And so, and, and it creates a lot of acid. And it's the, it's the creation of acid and that process that causes damage to the tubular cells of the kidney. And so eating a lot less animal protein basically keeps your kidneys longer. And actually I have probably right now I'm up to about 10 people who have gone hardcore vegan. And I just saw one this week Mm -hmm. and these people are, it's rare. It's not everybody who really takes to it. And I feel people out when I'm talking to them. You can't judge people because diet is very hard to change, Mm -hmm. right? It's probably the hardest thing for any one of us to change. But, um, you know, if you, if you look at, if you look at people and you feel them out and they're like, Oh, I'm interested. You know, I go, look, there's a couple roads we can go. If you think you can make some changes in your diet, we can impact your kidneys in a big way, even with very advanced kidney failure. And I mean, I have people who are like, very close to needing dialysis. One guy in Malone who's unbelievable and he went hardcore. His, his kidney function is down to like around seven, eight percent and he had not needed dialysis for a long time and he did incredibly well for a long time and he probably could have been on dialysis years before he made that change. So you can impact it. So that, that's really why I do it and that's why I do it. I do it because I ask people to do it. Practice what you preach. You got it. Yeah. And it's like smoking. Don't tell people not to smoke and then have them catch you out in the parking lot smoking. It's um, ridiculous. No, and I, I think I, I take... Because I remember when, like, as a kid, you go to, like, the doctors, and sometimes the doctor was really out of shape, and they're mm-hmm. telling, they're a doctor, and I always thought, it's kind of like going to a gym, like, you'd want your, tr- your trainer to be in shape, like, you just the perception of, yeah. they're doing what they're telling me to do, and, and I think, you know, it's like, there's always curveballs, because, look, you have people who have diseases, like, mm-hmm. you can have thyroid disease and other things that will make you have weight gain, you can have lots of different diseases that may make you unhealthy, and you could still be a really good doctor, 
Or surgeons, for instance. Uh, you know, a lot of times someone's got really good hands, and guess what? They're the best yeah. at taking out appendices, although they're sitting in the parking lot smoking. So you can't, <laughs> it's always hard because there's a balance. But I agree with you. If someone's going to preach to you about healthy living, mm-hmm. they should be doing it. Yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. The, uh, so what's the potassium? We talked about it before, but like, what's the general guideline for like kidneys? If, you know, I guess in like scientific and then in layman's terms. Yeah. I mean, just keeping it simple. Bottom line is, is like, there's three things I talk to patients about, uh, pretty much when it comes to what they eat. Obviously the low protein, mm-hmm. low sodium, which everybody knows, Hey, not too much salt. Cause your blood pressure goes up or mm-hmm. you're going to swell. And then the other one is uh, potassium, which is basically 2000 milligrams of potassium. So, you know, it's, it's hard. I give people diets. It gives them a dietary handout. So I have all these handouts and I try to, you try to make it simple and I've already gone through a dietary history. So I circle a few things and I say, Hey, you're eating a little bit too much peanut butter loaded with potassium. And I say cut the peanut butter at lunch down to once a week or twice a week, not every oh, so day. Sometimes people have to bring down the potassium. Oh, all the time. All oh, the time. Okay. Because I thought the people kidneys, had to add it more. Well, in. what it is is when your kidneys are failing, they can't get rid of potassium. So your body gotcha. starts to accumulate potassium. And when your body accumulates potassium, that voltage goes away. So you feel, if I pumped you full of potassium to a dangerous level, you wouldn't be able to get up out of the chair. You'd feel profoundly weak. You'd be like your muscles wouldn't function. With too much potassium. With too much potassium. Okay. And that's what happens to people with most people with kidney failure. Occasionally, people get a chronically low potassium. And then we have to supplement them. We give them potassium. So... Uh, where does most potassium come from? I, I automatically think banana. Yeah. So but. banana, oranges, tomatoes. So, you know, potassium comes from all those all those places. But if people aren't eating that, would you find that they would normally become deficient or is there enough sources out there that people would get potassium? You know, if you're if you're eating a pretty healthy diet, you're getting enough potassium. And there's a lot of potassium in our body, but but you can, I mean, if you're if you really don't eat any fruit, you know, any tomatoes, any of that stuff you could, but look like red sauce is loaded with potato with uh, potassium. Um, potatoes are loaded with potassium. So people are eating French fries. Yeah. People are eating pizza with red sauce. People are getting potassium, even though they're not thinking of, even like though banana. they're not getting it with like healthy sources. Um, yeah, because I always I just think banana. So I'm always like, I just throw bananas on. Like we used to play sports back in the day, but I keep bananas because you're yeah. cramping up. Or and whatever. then the other thing I tell people besides those ones is the, obviously the phosphorus. I try to get them to. Some people are big dairy eaters, like a gallon of milk a day. You know, they'd like pound it. They're my dairy farmers and those people. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so I try to get people to if they're a big dairy intake person, I try to get them even if they're healthy, because a lot of people I see who have normal kidney function, but they have high blood pressure. So I, for those people, you want to lower their sodium intake. And, and, um, for a lot of people, I just kind of, you know, go over those kind of restrictions with them. Um, like I got young kids, like the kids eat a lot of uh, yogurts. Like, is that, that's something they shouldn't be doing, you know, like something to cut. No, no, you know, when for kids, first of all, the pediatric, you know, society used to recommend a good amount of dairy a day. Mm And I've talked to the pediatricians here about that because dairy, look, dairy's good for you when it's coming from your mom's milk. Yeah. Yep. Um, but it's not good for you after that necessarily. Okay. But calcium is. But like almond milk is calcium fortified. So you can get enough. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make any pediatric statements other than Look, your kids are growing up. They're healthy kids. As long as they don't have any kind of kidney trouble, having some dairy and yogurts and gogurts and all the stuff that kids have is fine. Well, I usually like my, my initial thought with like yogurt is calcium and protein because it's like if they don't, 
most of our, our kids like eat some food, like our normal diet, like what me and Gina eat, like we, we, you know, obviously protein from, uh, animals. Um, I don't eat a lot of plant-based protein unless mm-hmm. it's like, you know, like, but you do because it's vegetables. Cause when you're well, eating vegetables, vegetables like quinoa and like, you know, you yeah. might get like some other things like that. Like yeah. every once in a while you have like lentils and things. Yeah, that, which is good. Um, but you know, typically like our kids eat, they're more like they gravitate towards the carb source. So then we're like, okay, well you're going to, that's fine, but let's Are have, they eating vegetables and that kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, they eat vegetables. They love, fruit? they love, uh, yeah, they love fruit. They love vegetables. Good. So like we try to balance it out. Um, you know, a lot of it though, I mean, you're in the, I mean, you had kids, it's like, Sometimes they're picky and it's like just trying to get them to eat is Anything. more important than hey, what look, they eat. I mean, I grew up eating horribly. Yeah. When I look back, my parents worked. My dad was a physician. Mm-hmm. My mom was a teacher and I was hyper. And I like, you know, it was like a fluffernutter sandwich, peanut butter and fluff yeah. or like a hot dog. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not saying my mom didn't make some great dinners and she's a good cook. Yeah. It's just when you're working and you're busy and you're eat, you know, you want to eat and, and you're doing things fast. And do you find it's easy for you to eat during the day? Cause I know you're, you're busy. Like I, something I struggle with is just prepping food. Yeah. Yeah. Getting food together is not easy. Um, at the office, I have a really nice break room. I have a fridge, we have an ice machine. I like, and, and my staff and I, we all eat lunch together. Oh, nice. So like we take time to make sure that we can eat and have a full kitchen upstairs so at the office so i love our building like a full like a full-on like stove full-on we've got a stove i put a stove in there and an oven okay so that they can make stuff if they want and we have a full fridge upstairs and then a break fridge downstairs but it's like food eating healthy uh, even for my staff we try our best Mm -hmm. and so i've introduced them some of them to like beyond burgers like if they're gonna eat some fast food trying to get them to do some plant-based sources because i want our whole office to have that vibe you know, to, to give off well, that healthy eating. No, I, th- I, th- I think it's, I think that's great. Like, I, th- I think, uh, like when I eat really well, I know it. And I feel, I just, it's, it's one of those things yeah. like you all, everybody knows if you eat well, you feel better. Yeah. And I find like sure. right now I'm like, I'm in a rut of like, just not having time to prep stuff. And it's like, yeah, oh, man. So then I'm like, I got like today, I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna eat for lunch. I'm gonna have to like scramble and get something or yeah. go pick something up quickly. And, yeah. um, so it's kind of, you, you run into that yeah. cycle of, like I'll have certain fast foods I can eat. Like I can get a veggie sub somewhere or like at Panera, I'll get like their Baja bowl with no meat in it, which has like avocado and quinoa. And like, it's really, it's like, um, so like I have certain things where if I'm in a pinch, I'll eat, I eat a lot of, like I'll have a peanut butter sandwich at lunch a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I keep it there and I keep bread there and I just make it easy for myself. So, if, and could look how much food do you really need at lunch? You don't need a whole lot. Yeah. And then you have some veggies and then you have a good dinner at night. Um, so for me, sometimes lunch is quick um if the staff is ordering something in they know they'll order me like a veggie burger mm-hmm. so i'll eat you know it's not that i don't eat foods that probably aren't the healthiest and they're processed some of those are processed yeah you know but you're human and you but i'm this, human and, and, yeah. and i run a business and we're and we're busy and there's stuff going on and i i feel your pain bro it's, you got three kids you got a busy job you got a lot going yeah, on yeah it's uh, but it's always something that like in the back of my mind it's like when i'm Working out and eating well, like everything in my life gets better, sleep gets better, I stretch, I like I do no all the stuff. That- I, I laugh now because I have such good stock of how I feel after certain foods because most of the time I eat yeah. pretty healthy. And like on a fight night, I love, you know, UFC, if I'm yep. watching UFC on a Saturday night and I have a couple of wings, I can guarantee you the next morning I do not feel well. Yeah. And I feel it. And it's funny, my body, I have no desire for a steak ever. Okay. I, it's gone. A burger, a regular burger, I, I can't even imagine eating one. Mm-hmm. It's out of my... It's out of my how long has it been gone. since you've ate that food? 
probably been it's got to be at least years? five years five like four wow. four years because i was doing it when we were the tw- crossfit was yeah. like 2014 2015 yeah. for me and so that's when i really started being changing my diet mm-hmm. when i really started exercising i uh about beginning late 2019 early 2020 i like ate really well mm-hmm. i mean not your diet but i was yeah. eating I was tracking, I was really focused on what I was eating and, you know, I wasn't eating sugars. I was, I wasn't really drinking much. I was like doing a lot of good stuff. Typically when I watch what I eat, one, I lean out quite a bit. I feel great because yeah. it's just like, you know, you're not, there's no inflammation. I sleep better. Mm. I'm not like, it's all the stuff that like I always end up dealing with where I'm like, God, I'm more sore now than I used to be. Mm. Well, it's like when you're eating well, like you felt great. Yeah. I stretched no a doubt lot. Your recovery is quicker. Yeah. Like a lot of things are better. And like you said, the inflammation is lower. So that's drink really more good water too. Like the hydration aspect. It's just, like, I think that's one of my things is like I, one of my weaknesses is I need to drink more water. Mm-hmm. I do try to drink plenty of water, but I think for all of us, I'm a big, like my weakness is coffee. Yeah. And I drink a lot of coffee. I don't know about you. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And and these Keurigs made I've it even had worse. Those this morning. Yeah. yeah, and the Keurigs make it worse because it's so. And I have it at the office too, where it's just so easy to grab another cup. I'm a. I'm a. Do you drink tea at all? I don't. Because I'm. I'm a. So, I grew up as a kid. I started drinking coffee at 16, but it wasn't like every morning. It was mm-hmm. like you know, Sunday weekends I'd have a cup of coffee. And then by the time I think I got to my senior year of high school, I was having coffee almost every day, and mm-hmm. I haven't stopped it. But. I used to drink a lot of tea when I was a kid, uh, or I say high school. My mom's a big tea drinker. My grandparents were big tea drinkers, so it wasn't uncommon. Like after dinner, my mom would make a pot of tea. Do you want you want some tea? I'm like, absolutely. So I think a lot of my connection with coffee, because I don't drink a lot of tea anymore, but I think the connection with coffee is I like sipping on something hot. Yeah. So it's more of a comfort food for yeah. me, like a comfort drink. Do you drink for me. decaf or high octane? Oh, I drink caffeine. Yeah. But like, I think if someone told me. If you want, it's funny, my uncle, I, th- I think at one point, he's like, why drink coffee if you're not drinking caffeine? Like, I, and I, I don't know if I really necessarily need the caffeine. Sometimes in the morning I do because I'm yeah. like, I get up and like not good sleep. But um, I find that even just sipping like decaf if it's hot, I don't mind drinking. Yeah, I'm the same. Like there's definitely a comfort for me having a cup of coffee mm-hmm. there. Like, yeah, and like even right now, I can yeah, just sip it on every yeah, few exactly. minutes. Yeah, and, exactly. And, you know, when I'm seeing patients, I'll have a cup in my office mm-hmm. and I'll be seeing them in the exam room and then in between patients when I'm dictating, I'll have a sip of coffee. So, yeah, and I do that throughout the day, which is, I, you know, I definitely drink a lot of coffee. I could back that down. Um, that would be or, good for me. Or could you increase the water with that? I think factor? increasing water, I need to drink more water because I tend to drink more coffee and, yeah. and it's not as good. You want so You want some plain water going into you so when when uh i remember a doctor told me at one point he goes like when you're taking a piss like clear pee is the way to be like if you have clear pee it means you're hydrated but like what i guess that obviously plays into what you do right with the kidneys yeah Yeah. i mean you know having good being well hydrated you know as you get concentrated you know as your body is if it if you're getting what's called volume contracted which means you're not taking in enough and you're starting to concentrate down then your urine your kidneys go hey galen's not taking in enough water and i better conserve water but I still have to put all the same toxins out. So you still ate the same food. So your kidneys go, well, hey, now I got to put all those toxins that you just ate in this much water instead of a five-gallon bucket of water. So, And that's why it's more clear. Um, but as you get less and less urine output, there's a term we call oliguria. There, the amount of urine you make in a day, it, let's say you make a liter and a half a day of urine, something like that. Um, is that is the perfect amount of water for you to put all the toxins in. And, yeah. and you have this ability, if you were in the desert, you would still be making urine and making urine, but the amount you make each day would start going down. 
but you'd still from the be, lack of drinking from the not drinking enough, but you would be putting all the toxins out. You could put out in a whole day, probably like this medium cup of coffee. That would be enough water for you to get all the toxins out, which means if I measured, measured your toxins one day, you urinated this whole cup full of water out with all the toxins and I measured your toxins the next day, they would be the same, which means you didn't accumulate anything. But then all of a sudden you put half of that out, you put less urine out. Now you're starting, I measure your toxins from one day to the next and your toxin level went up because you didn't put enough water, you didn't put enough toxins out. And that wasn't enough water for you. So whatever that is, and it's usually somewhere around like 300 to 400 milliliters in a day. If you make less, if somebody's making less than three to 400 milliliters in a day, some people say 500. Of toxins or Of urine? water, of urine. Okay. Then you're not putting your toxins out. And so like when we have people in the ICU, I look at their whole 24-hour urine. And if someone's putting out 200 milliliters of water, I know their kidneys can't get the work done and I know their toxin levels are going and that's up. when dehydration hits and yeah, or there's other reasons, but you know, bottom line is, is like, there's this critical point of as long as you can put out all of your toxins in a day, you gave your kidneys enough water. So even though your urine looks dark, if I measure, it's only dark because your kidneys are forcing or really concentrating that urine and they're putting all the toxins in there. And you work with urologi urologists a lot? Yeah, they're kind of like, they're, they're more the plumbers. They do, sur so urologists are surgeons also, so okay. they do surgery. So if you have a kidney tumor, let's say I work you up because your kidneys aren't working great or your blood pressure's up, and then I do an ultrasound and I find a mass in your kidney, then I call the urologist and I say, hey, this guy's got a tumor in his kidney, it needs to be removed, and they do the surgery. Well they also do kidney stones, yeah. so they'll fix kidney stones, you know, okay. so, um, they're, they're, you know, obviously we work closely together a lot of times. Sometimes they'll take a kidney out of somebody and then the kidney function goes down. Um, and the, and the urologist will call me and say, Hey, I need you to see this person. Their kidneys aren't working. Great. So, so the body has two kidneys, two kidneys. Now, most of the time now, most, and they're on both sides. Yep. So the kidneys are about think of kidneys on what, like when you say you hit in the kidney, yeah, it's like it's your like left a side, flank. Is it's that like a the flank. left side or whatever. Well, or is no, both? well, liver punch is on the right, you know, the right. Okay. Front. Um, but kidney punch can be on either side. Okay. So, cause you have a left and a right kidney. And they're kind of on the back side, right? And they're on the back. They're okay. in the flank. They're actually tucked into our back, like under our back muscles. Okay. So they're deep in there. And they're about the size of your fist. So the, if you make a fist, um, that's about the size of your kidneys. And that's pretty much it. They Each kidney has like a little drain tube that comes out. That's called the ureter. And that drain tube goes all the way down to your bladder. And then those drain tubes plug into the bladder, which is like a big balloon. And then the bladder has the urethra that comes out. Mm -hmm. And for men, it comes out through the penis. And we urinate. And for women, the urethra exits right there. Yeah. So that, that's pretty much the anatomy of it. So when someone has one kidney or takes a kidney out, cause you can function off of one kidney, mm -hmm. you can live a long, healthy life with one kidney. Now, is it weird? Or I guess what's the benefit of having two versus one? Cause obviously if the body can survive off one kidney, why do we have two? Good point. Well, I think, you know, it turns out that if you look at like Eastern medicine, um, a lot of times they talk about, uh, like, our life, how do you figure out how long someone's going to live? And as you, as you get older, we think of people as drying out. Your skin's not as flexible. Mm -hmm. You're getting scarred down. It's like our tissues are kind of fibrosing. We're aging. They're shrinking. Okay. When you look at the aging, when you look at people who've studied aging, one of the main organs they look at is the kidney. 
And that is because there is a protein in the kidney that's heavily expressed called Clotho, K-L-O-T-H-O, Clotho. Clotho, it was named after the Greek goddess Clotho of the three fates. Did you ever watch Hercules? The you got to watch Hercules the with the kids, the movie, the no, Disney movie. I saw it movie. at your house on the big screen. Oh, okay. Yes. yes so I have okay. Seen. All right. I saw so, it as a kid too. But, but in any it, case, yeah. Clotho is when they spin the thread of life and they decide how long you're going to live. Clotho is the one who snips it and goes, this is where you die, right? Oh. Figures out how long you live. She the goddess of death? Well, it's like aging. It's hard to know. Okay. I, I don't know what the exact... Okay. It's like she's one of the three fates okay. um, that decides how long you live. She's the one who snips it. So they named this protein Clotho because it turned out to be an extremely important aging protein. So that if I take, if I take a mouse and you do what's called a knockout, I take that Clotho gene and I kill it so that it doesn't function, that mouse will rapidly age, it will get vascular calcification, it will get skin atrophy and muscle atrophy, it will die a rapid death. And as a matter of fact, that's what happens to people who develop end-stage renal disease. If I took both of your kidneys out, removed them both, and I put you on dialysis, right? Because you had no kidney function. You would have, right now, you would have the same life expectancy. Are you 30 now? 31. Okay. Yeah. So you would yeah. have the same life expectancy as an 80-year-old man. Wow. Because you have no kidneys. And But if I give you a transplant, all of a sudden your life expectancy goes up. You live longer. And why? It's because of Clotho. It's because there are these anti-aging genes. So you just asked me, why is it better to have two kidneys than one? Double the Double the, double the Clotho. Gotcha. Double the Clotho. It's like anti-aging. So two kidneys, for whatever reason, I'm not sure what the design plan was there. Yeah. Um, but basically, in my mind, I think of it as anti-aging, which is also the reason that you want to take care of both your kidneys and not lose kidney function over time. Like simple things. Um, we'll get back to Clotho, but like ibuprofen. People take a lot of ibuprofen and NSAIDs, like headaches, for back pain, pain yeah. going to play golf, pop two, loosen up. You know what I mean? The rug installer, oh, I'm going to put carpets in. I pop two, two Advils in the morning before I'm on my knees all day putting mm -hmm. carpets in. And next thing you know, over 10 years of that, you're seeing people developing kidney trouble and high blood pressure. Well, guess what? It's not just that. Their, their life expectancy is going down. When I see people with kidney trouble, I immediately am thinking like cardiovascular stuff because their risk of stroke and vascular disease and heart disease starts to go way up. So a lot of times I tell people, look, I'm not worried about you ending up on dialysis. You're, you may, your chance, you know, we have to do all this stuff because we want you to be healthy and make it there because a lot of people don't make it there because of vascular disease. And then they're smoking. You know, you look at all these mm -hmm. things and we talk about why diet's important. And the big one is phosphorus. You're bringing up such an important point when we talk about aging, because when it comes to aging, that's where the dairy comes in for, for older people. Phosphorus, when you eat, if you ate a bowl of ice cream, your kidneys have that is loaded with phosphorus. Your kidneys have to get rid of that. They don't want it to stay in your blood, obviously. So you're, you'll urinate a ton of phosphorus. But to urinate the phosphorus, the kidney has to be told, hey, there's a lot of phosphorus in the blood. You need to get rid of this. And who tells you that? The bone actually tells you this. This is a spoiler alert for everybody out there who's interested in endocrinology. The bones 
are part of the endocrine system. Endocrine, we always think of as glands that secrete hormones to do a job somewhere else. Like the mm -hmm. pancreas is a, is a gland. Secretes insulin, makes our body use glucose better. The bones regulate phosphorus. They sense what the phosphorus is in the blood. I ate a bowl of ice cream. My bones go, hey, Craig just ate a bowl of ice cream. They send out this protein called FGF23, and it goes, it's a growth factor, and it goes to the kidney, and it connects up with Clotho, and it tells the kidney, hey, get rid of phosphorus. So it's actually a co-receptor. It's really cool, but what I'm getting at is this FGF23, which goes way up when you eat ice cream and dairy products or a glass of milk or anything, this FGF23 protein is probably the main reason that people with kidney trouble develop such bad vascular disease because FGF23 causes vascular calcification, causes your heart to thicken. It does all these things. Remember I told you if you knock out the clotho gene and that mouse rapidly ages and it just, it dies a miserable death, vascular calcification, muscle atrophy. Well, if you knock out FGF23, these two things do the same thing. And that's how they were discovered. These, these important uh, proteins in the kidney and in the bone were discovered because people were studying two things. One group was studying aging and they, they're the ones who discovered uh, the clotho. Mm -hmm. And the groups that were studying, uh, they were studying rickets, what's called hypophosphatemic rickets. It's, it's kids who have a disorder that they urinate too much phosphorus. And their phosphorus levels get low and they get filled with kidney stones and they get weak bones because their body can't hold on to phosphorus. So... You, they end up, they can die from this and it causes severe bone disease. It's a horrific disorder. And that's how they discovered FGF23. These kids are born making way too much of this FGF23. And that causes vascular calcification and all these other problems. It's a very bad disease. Is that rare? Pretty rare. Um, that's very rare. Hypophos, but you can pick it up. And so it's rare, but in a, in a lifetime, any given doc could see one or two cases, but they probably miss it. Because we don't, you don't always pick it up. Some of these genetic orders don't get picked up for quite a while. Do, do you, you said you don't do surgeries, everything's dialysis? Mm -hmm. I don't do surgery. Um, I'm a medical doctor, so I use medicines and I, I diagnose people with illnesses and I treat them like non-surgically. Mm -hmm. But occasionally my patients need surgery and lots of times they do. And then I work with the surgeons and, so, you know, they so manage So you won't stuff. extract any kidneys? So or do I don't any do that. Kidney no. stones? No, I, in the ICU I do some critical care. So like I'll put lines in for dialysis. So I do a lot of monitoring and, and access stuff. Um, but really the interventional radiologists, the vascular surgeons, the general surgeons, I work with all the surgeons. One of the other things I love about the kidney specialty is that I get to work with all the other doctors. I work a lot with the heart doctors and heart failure. Um, so I do, you know, I, it's such a, a, a perfect job for me cause I get, I'm in so many different places and don't you it, like your days to be different? It, well, that's exactly why I do what I do. Yeah. So like Mondays are my office day, Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm in dialysis units, seeing people on dialysis. Um, you know, in the afternoon I'm back in the office a little bit, Thursday's office, Friday is like other stuff. This last week I was in the hospital for the whole week in the mornings and then I'm in the office in the afternoon. Like my days are always never in the same place or the same County. I was going to say, so what places do you cover? So right now, um, I used to go to as far as Messina, but I stopped going to Messina probably like three, five, maybe four or five years ago. And then, but I go to Malone. Mm -hmm. I run that dialysis unit there, Plattsburgh. 
Elizabethtown. And I also used to go to Saranac Lake and Tupper Lake. But now we have a new young doc in the area, uh, Dr. Ella Zuri, super nice guy, Paul. Shout out to Paul and Monica Zimna. Um, they are, they're doing most of the hospital work, but Paul also says, takes care of those two dialysis units, which is awesome for me. So that's so allowed kinda, me. Yeah, you brought, you brought the circle. They've really closer. helped because it's kind of slowed me down. Actually, it brings me to another really interesting topic, which was like right before COVID kicked in, in 2020. Um, it was like January of 2020. They changed some laws about telemedicine for 2020 before COVID. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm so busy with these units. I got to set up some telemedicine. So I set up a Zoom account and I, I wrote some protocols for how to use Zoom for our visits. And then I also ordered a robot for my dialysis units. So, you know, the big bang theory, do you ever see like, uh, well, in any case, oh, there's the, the TV show. Yeah. Yeah. Sheldon well, the, or whatever. Yeah. Sheldon. So there's a, there's a robot. Um, so I got one of these robots called double robotics and, and it's amazing. And it's like a, it's basically like televideo conferencing on a Segway. So I can drive it remotely using Google Chrome. I can just like drive this thing up to a dialysis chair and then I can teleconference with a patient in Malone from my office. Oh, so, so they're like in the bed. I, they're I guess, in the dialysis chair Tear, yeah. and I can drive around the whole unit. Then I can drive and up to the flooded? charge nurse. Yeah, I'm on there. They get to see me. And so, <laughs> so anyway, I was setting all this up in January. <laughs> Next thing you know, in March, everything gets closed down and I'm already set up with telemedicine. So then I order two more robots and I get, so now I have robots. Now I have four of them. I have one in Malone, one in Elizabethtown, one in Plattsburgh and one in my office. That way, no matter where I am, if somebody calls me with someone who needs to be seen, I can pop my laptop open, log into the robot, drive up to the chair and go over things. And I've got like two so within minutes versus you taking the time to drive within there. minutes. Yeah. And, That's and cool. I wrote it up. So I wrote an abstract and I presented it at a conference uh, this past March because, uh, you know, there's never been a report of using robots in dialysis units. They use them in emergency rooms. They use them in critical care. Um, they use them in surgeries, but there's been no, no one has ever really used robots in a dialysis unit for remote care. And I wrote it up in our Elizabethtown unit because Elizabethtown is truly a rural community. So I wrote the article up as, you know, the use of telepresence robots in a rural community in upstate New York during the pandemic. So it was cool. And this went out to who? This, this went out, it was at a big dialysis conference in, uh, in, I'm trying to remember. It was like Minneapolis, but it was it was virtual conference because okay. it was you know. So it, it's other uh, neurologists from around the country. nephrologists, yeah, ne so, nephrologists, yeah, yeah, so yeah, so nephrologists. Other, yeah, yes. other nephrologists from around the world. Nephron, neuron, I, I, they're I, both functional my, units. I'm not good with words, which is no. funny because we're we're doing a podcast. But yes, nephrologists. So I yes. keep looking down to make sure I'm like phonetically. How do I say yes, nephrologist? No, but in any case, I think it's it's about it was about. Te I love obviously I love technology, and I think you're the same, um, but. You know, one of the other interesting things I think for business people who run businesses and try to integrate technology into their business is you have to do this in a very planned way. I didn't just order up a robot and drop it in the dialysis unit and then drive up to patients and start chatting with them. Like I didn't do that. Um, you know, I wrote up a protocol. How does the physician get trained? How does the PA get trained? You know, what are the infectious disease uh, issues? Um, I, I really spent a lot of time kind of working out what were the protocols and processes? How are we going to use this? How do you learn how to use this? And when you integrate technology into a business, and I don't know what technologies you use in the real estate business, is there much there? I mean, obviously. Yeah, yeah there's a yeah, handful. Yeah, 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 there are certain things that you use. Um, but having processes and having those things wired in 
are ways there there are ways for you to make adjustments to what you do in a controlled way and I, I tell people it's a little bit like you can't integrate technology into any business it's a little bit like saying any person can run an iPhone. Well, if you go up to if you go up to Penn and hand Penn an iPhone, mm-hmm. Penn probably good with an iPhone. P- Penn's my <laughs> six five six month year old right. son. So yeah. my point is, is that not mature enough to get the mm-hmm. benefits of an iPhone, and that's what's called the capability maturity model. So for anybody who runs any kind of business, and it doesn't matter what business you run. You want to know, you should look at what's the maturation of my business. I do this. I learned a lot about business as I've been 20 years in private practice because in medical school and loving nephrology doesn't teach you how to run a good business. Well, so I was going to kind of go there. So, I mean, number one, you said process guy. Number two, you said working, like I said, for yourself and not kind of answering to anybody. So why, I guess, talk about the business side of, of like, I, why you wanted to work for yourself and then kind of the, the process. Cause I'm curious. Cause I, I, I have internal processes that I'm really good at yeah. and I've been able to like do what works for me. Yeah. It's the idea of trying to replicate that for a lot of people. Exactly. That's the hard, that's the hard part for me. It's yeah. Like, so I think, first of all, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Like in, cause you're, you're a business owner and it's like, how do you, do you take time to look at your processes so, and, and to get people together to go over them. And that this is a, that's a, so that's one question. And then, so the answer, the answer to that is I, I do not well though, mm. meaning I, I, I'm aware of stuff, but yeah. I don't, my, I think the hardest part, so we have someone coming on in a couple weeks and their job is like an operation person helped me out to, to basically get ideas to reality is what I, I, I presented to the, yeah. the, this person. I said, I, have time. I've, I've thought about a lot of stuff. There's things I want to implement, but then it's like implementation of this stuff takes time, takes it focus, does. takes a lot of quiet. I call it um like think time, quiet yeah. time, but you have to schedule this stuff. So for instance, yeah, exactly. just recently, anytime something major happens, I take a Friday and I close the office, mm-hmm. but the staff all comes in Yeah, and I set up a full agenda, like agenda with the time. Uh, we're going to talk about this five minutes. Oh, we're going to talk staff. about this with the staff. Gotcha. Because you have to include them because they know things about how things work that you don't know. I'll give you an example. One other thing you can look at, and everybody can look it up. It's called Draw Toast. I absolutely love this. I've used it. What is it called? That's actually a short one. So we're yeah, good. Yeah, that's a short one. We're good. You didn't it's sw- called Craig didn't swear. <laughs> Draw Toast. D-R-A-W Toast. T-O-A-S-T. Okay. You can go to, it was actually a, uh, it was a TED Talk. Um, but it's the concept of if I gave you a couple of index cards and I said, Hey Galen, write down how you draw toast. You would write like, you might draw a picture of a toaster, a picture of a, two slices of bread. You draw a toaster, you draw someone pushing the button then you pop it out and you draw a little smiley face, peanut butter, jelly sandwich on toast, blah, blah, blah. Happy. I might draw a couple of resistors, heat electrical circuit. I might come at it from a totally different approach than you. And someone else will come at it from a completely different approach from you. And if you take all of us and we don't get to talk and we just put our draw toast stickies up on the wall and we all just kind of sort them out and we can look at them and you could say, oh, well, our two, these two are the same. Let's get rid of that one. We'll just keep yours. As you look at how this iterates, all of a sudden you get a beautiful process of how to draw toast because we all came at it a little bit differently. And someone, someone drew in their shop at the store. 
well, we never thought of that. You can't make toast if someone didn't go shopping, but someone came up with that. Mm. And then someone else finalizes it with the bite, the closeout, you know? And so we miss those points. So I'll give you another example. When I did first did draw toast, which was like probably eight years ago with my staff, I got them all in a room and they were all laughing at me and I gave them all little 3M sticky cards, you know, the little 3M Mm -hmm. sticky notes, yellow stickies. And I said, all right, you guys, draw a patient office visit. My goal for this one meeting was I want the patient to be the center of what happens in our office. Everybody draw what happens when a patient comes in for a visit from start to finish for you. And so I drew mine and it's like patient comes into the waiting room, patient checks in, you know, patient gives details, fills out paperwork, signs consents, comes to my exam room. I give them a history and then, and then I go over the plan and then I give the plan to the staff. Okay. My secretary comes up, she's writing her cards and we're all putting our cards. We're all sticking them. There's no talking. Mm -hmm. You wrote your things and you stick them on the wall. We stuck them on a wall in my conference room. And then I look at my, at my secretary's cards and hers is call the patient two weeks before the visit Mm. and ask them if they have any special needs. Do they need a wheelchair? Do they need anything to come up special? Cause we were on the second floor in Margaret street, the old grand union building at that time. And it was not easy to get in. Um, and she had mail the patient their handout one week before the visit. So she had all these things that were happening. So then I was like, I realized, ooh, I got to have a whole section for pre-visit, visit, and then post-visit. Because my biller had stuff in, check on secondary insurance, male patient, you know, uh, a follow-up. And then it was like, all of a sudden, there were all these things I realized, even as the owner and the main guy and the doctor, mm-hmm. there was 40% of things I was missing. And then from that, when we all looked at it, we were like, we came up with a to-do list. All right, guys, we're going to mail this out two weeks before. We're going to, um, we're going to create a welcome letter that goes out with it that asks them if they have special needs. So it improved our patient care process. The other thing we realized was patients were going back and forth to the waiting room. I didn't want them to do that. So we came also out with some new techniques of where the check-in would happen and the vitals would happen in the exam room rather than the nurse check-in at that office. Cause I didn't have a good flow, but we, my point is this draw toast technique of iterating a problem. Getting all your staff in here. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, when, when we work with a client, well, I want you to write down what happens from start to finish in a carts. And then we're going to put them up, stick them up, and we're going to come up with this. And Google, all the big companies do this stuff. This is a technique not used by small companies. This is big. For big problems, you pick a problem and you solve it with draw toast. And my staff now, anytime I have a meeting, they're always like, are we going to draw toast? So it's That's kind so of funny. funny. But it's actually a great method. But I take a lot of time for quality uh, what's called quapi meetings, like quality assessment. How are we doing? Performance improvement. What are we going to do to make this better? And I picked different problems. Obviously during COVID, we had a couple of meetings because we had to change everything we did. And I, I made sure that this wasn't haphazard. I made sure I took an entire day with my staff to say, all right, COVID guidelines have come out. What do we need to do? And it was everything. We made a whole list. And because we were all together, it was very comprehensive. But you need the team to do this. And so we did like website update. We did signage. We did our temperature screening, both employee and patient screening. Mask, I put an intercom system in our entranceway so the staff didn't have to go out and manually check it. They could do it from a distance. Um, We closed our waiting room. We created a walkway. We... All these things would never have happened if we didn't set up a specific meeting 
and a staff gathering for how do we do this? And so what you want to do, the first thing you do, and this is what I did with my practice was I sat down on my quiet time and I wrote down every process, what happens, all the systems, cause you got your people, you got all your processes, how they do things. And if there's no processes written down, then there's no processes. Mm -hmm. Then you're just relying on people knowing. And that's not good because when you train somebody new, you want to be able to give them a folder. Here's what I expect of you. This is, that's my disconnect. Yeah. So, so you want to, the, the other thing to do is you take all your employees who do things and you say, guys, I want a series of how to's all the different things you do. What's your how to. And I want you to make it for each of the important things you do. Someone may say, Hey, entering a client in our system. Uh, entering a property in our system, um, updating, uh, all the different things. However it happens, there needs to be a how-to. And then when new people come in, because you don't want to have to rely on heroes. Right now you're a hero because you know how everything works and you can do it. Mm -hmm. So your business can be awesome, but if you're sick, it fails. But if you have good people who are accountable for certain jobs and you have very good processes that are outlined, I can do that. If this one's sick, I can pull up the how-to and I can do it. And then you have good technology that's kind of integrated. Then all of a sudden you have a really high capability organization. And that is what is, what's the maturity of your organization right now? You're like a level one or level two. Mm -hmm. It goes to level five, level one and level level one is like, you're totally reactive, which means you just do everything. You have a couple of heroes who can get everything done, mm -hmm. but you don't have any processes written down. You're maybe using technology, but it's not really integrated necessarily specifically. Then the next one is kind of, you're starting to be managed. You're starting to be like, Hey, that's what you're doing. Now you're working to get managed. You're getting a manager in to say, help, help us organize our processes, get some accountability for the specific people and then integrate our, we're just going to put these things together. That's the beginning. And that there's a good start. That's where you want to get to. But then after that, you start to go, you want to be proactive. You want to predict problems. You want to predict growth. You want to predict things. And that's when you've got people who are wired in. They know what they're accountable for. Mm -hmm. You have processes where everything is outlined, where if someone's, if someone didn't do something, you're actually going to know it. Like, and then, and then you have your technology that's linking all these things together. And you're now you're taking time out to put in a quality program and you say, yes, now we're going to meet. Once every three months, we're going to take a morning. We're all going to have coffee. We're going to sit in the conference room and we're going to pick an issue or we're going to do a total uh, review and we're going to go through things. So I have two types of meetings that I have in my office routinely that are not medically related. I have a checklist meeting every month. So my front staff has a checklist. My billing uh, manager, business manager has a checklist and it's everything was like from like where the retirements funds done. Is everybody, I have things like on, I want my employees to know I'm not going to miss when they're due for a raise or they're due for increase in vacation. I'm ahead of them mm -hmm. because I do a milestone for my employees. That's just one of my checklists. Anybody reach a milestone? And I have a table of all my employees, how long they've been there, who gets an increase. And I don't want my employees to come to me and go, Hey, I'm supposed to be getting more vacation. I want them to know when you work at Northern Nephrology, we're ahead of you. Mm -hmm. Like I know where you are. And you're going to get it. Yeah. And, and so, or you're due for this increase and your retirement's getting done. So, so the key is to be proactive and it's to have systems. So the checklist meeting are awesome. So I just, my staff knows every month we have a checklist meeting. They bring their checklist. I have to sign off of them. Fridge logs, medications, um, supplies, uh, lights in the, in the, in the bathroom, 
our bathroom alarms. If someone falls in the bathroom, it does the alarm work. They have to check them every month. That's part of the checklist. I have my own checklist. I'm the one who checks our defibrillator, the AED. I make sure the batteries are good, that it's not expired. We check all our sample medicines to make sure none have expired. I mean, we have three comprehensive checklists. We do them every month and we all know where we're at and we sit down at the table and it literally takes us 10 minutes because everybody does their checklist. They all know what it is. Mm -hmm. But like, did you reconcile the bank account? Did you pay all the bills? Like, you know, we have lists of things. And then if we update something, we put it on our checklist meeting. And then that's one meeting. Those are just to make sure all the details are done. Mm -hmm. Number two is our quality meetings. And I probably do usually two a year. And those are those big meetings and I have agendas and someday I'll sit you down and I'll show you what one of our agendas look like. Yeah, I'd love it. Yeah, but the agendas are really, I take all of our different processes and it's everything from staffing to equipment to new technology to what direction are we going to patients to billing to systems to new guidelines to whatever. And I have it all in there and I have a timer on it so they know when we're going through stuff and I have a big board that I write on while we're going over it. Um, and we, I usually also started off with a talk. So I usually start off our big quality day with a 15 minute talk for the staff. Like a monologue? Yeah. Where I give them, I pick a topic that I think is going to be helpful to all of us. I love to talk. So also, so this year I just had one with them and we did it. And the talk I gave them was called we thinking. And this is good for you because we think is something kids do all the time, but adults stop doing it. We are always thinking me, all your uh, salespeople are probably like, Hey, I'm going to make a big sale. I'm going to get my bonus. I'm going to get my thing. And it's me, I'm me, me, me. But this is about we thinking. This is about how do we work together as a team? So for me, I tell my staff, look, when a patient walks into the office, we need to, we think on them, not me think, don't think, Hey, if I do a good job here, I'm going to get a bonus for what I'm doing. It's we think, and we thinking is about having a shared goal. And it's like, we want this person to be healthy. That's our we think. We want them to live a long, healthy life. How do we do that? The way we do that is you do a good job checking them in. You get a good history. The nurse does a good job checking their vitals. I do a good job evaluating the patient and coming up with a plan. Then we do a good job following up and making sure everything gets scheduled. That's we thinking. We're not thinking of our how it impacts us. And the best example of that was like Apollo 13, which I saw that movie just recently. Remember Apollo 13? Kevin Bacon? Tom yeah. Hanks? Yeah, Kev, yeah, Tom Hanks, yeah, yeah, Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon. Who's the, who's oh, the third guy? Ed Harris? Yes, or, yeah. yes. Yep. So uh, anyway, that movie, that is the classic we think because all of a sudden you got guys going out in space, you get an oxygen tank that blows up and you got three guys who, who need to survive for four days on two days, on enough oxygen for two guys for two days, right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. Bottom line is, is like all of a sudden NASA's like, we think all of a sudden it's not like they didn't say, Hey, let's go, let's split up into teams. And whoever solves this problem gets a million dollars. They said, let's all look at this and let's come up with a plan on how to bring them back safely. And it was, we thinking it's like, we are going to save the astronauts. This is not about me. This is about saving these guys. And they came up with an amazing plan that brought them home safely. And so that's we thinking. And, and so that was my talk with them. I talk about stress. I talk about nutrition. Mm -hmm. I usually give them a talk, but I like to do teamwork talks like concepts. And, and sometimes it happens where people aren't getting along. We had a problem in the office when I hired somebody and there were different personalities and there was stuff going on, but these people were really unique and important. And so rather than like, 
pull people aside and scold and come up with things. I, I gave a talk at our next quality meeting on with the, both people in with attendance, everybody, mm-hmm. the whole crew. Cause it wasn't about specific people, but it was about like the importance of the uniqueness of how we all do things. And the fact that when we do things differently, that adds to our quality, doesn't take away from it. Because like I do things a certain way and I've done it a certain way for many years. And then someone new joins and they're like, Hey, well, we don't do it that way. Well, wait a minute. That means you don't want to grow or you're not ready to change. So you have to take in new thoughts and, and like hybrid ideas. You got to incorporate those things and look at them carefully and not be too locked into your ways. You got to be open to change. But I gave them this talk and it was really cool. And then I gave them examples of each staff, how they'd done things that were important to how the practice worked. And I really believe the reason, I'm, I'm very proud of my medical practice, of the way we take care of people, the feedback we get. And the reason I'm proud of it, it's not because it's me. It's like we gelled this team and this team approach together that is like no one can compare to the way we do it. I don't think so. I think you can go into any other office and I'd be surprised. And I think the reason it's like that is is one I approach my little practice like it's Google, like it's a big company. Two, you got to pay people to, to, to stay. You got to pay people well and give them good benefits and treat them right. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Um, and, and three, we, we took the time and people realize it's not just me and I don't believe it is me. You know, it's, we take the time for everybody to realize how important they are as they're part of the cog. And, and my staff knows that like my, everybody from my front desk people to my nurse, who's pivotal to my practice, to my PA who's pivotal. It's like, everybody's become like the LeBron James of the team. It's like, I have all of these players and we are like, we're integrated very nicely right now. So things are in a flow state, which is very good for the business, but it's because of these things. And it's, yeah. I, I, th- I think, uh, one of the things that I've been kind of like thrust into over the last couple of years has been this because it's not a natural thing for me. So I spent, um, this is my, so this is my 11th year. So I started out beginning, like not knowing nothing and just trying to get my feet wet and understand the industry. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say by years, you know, I'd say really like seven, eight year seven or eight. I really started to understand real estate. Like to me, real estate is not, I don't have to think much about real estate because it's just second nature. Like you doing dialysis is kind of like second nature. Right. That's but the easy part. Yeah, to me, like going and showing a home or, or listing on a house or whatever, that's easy to me. Right. The hard part for me now is, okay, in the last couple, basically the last two and a half to three years, we've doubled the amount of people. We've doubled the amount of production. We've doubled, um, I've tripled the amount of kids. Like it's all this stuff in my life that just like keeps adding. And then it's like, okay, I got to strip down find more time, but then also leverage my time through people and processes. The process part, the hard part for me is the, um, is, is really sitting down and under, and we have processes. I don't want to say we yeah, don't, we no, definitely for do. Sure. But yeah, for sure. when I look at, I, I'm one where I, tr- I know, I know where we can get to. And my thing is I'm, it's, it frustrates me because I feel that we're coming short of where I, I know we can get to. And that's the thing that eats at me. Not the fact we don't, we had, we totally have processes. We've done a great job. We've grown, we've done all this stuff, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's so much more we can do and accomplish. And that's why I'm always nervous about like this. I mean, I'm frantically taking, I mean, it's controlled controlled growth. And I think you're, you're getting, you're on the right path because it's really now you, how do I get to the next level? 
how do I get, and the way you do that is you, number one, you assess the maturity of your, of your organization. Mm -hmm. And number two, if you don't have quality, you can't get there without quality assessment, performance improvement, because guess what? To perform and improve, you have to assess quality. Mm -hmm. And if you're not taking the time to look, Hey, how many deals did we close? Hey, how much let's do an analysis. Let's take some time to look here. Where did we drop off? I, I call it failure analysis. When I have my quality meeting at the dialysis units, which I do, I don't want to hear about all the things that went well. I want to know about the ones that fell through. Mm -hmm. Who are the people who are not doing well? That's called failure analysis. And that's not a bad thing. And I tell my, all my staff, when something goes wrong, that's not a bad thing. That's going to teach us how to not do it again. But what you do is you look at them and you say, hey, we're 88% patients meeting this goal and everybody wants to go, that's amazing. And I go, no, what's up with the, with the 18% who didn't make it? You know, what, what's the deal here? How do we improve them? Our goal is always a hundred percent optimized. And the way you do that is you look at those things and then sometimes there's nothing you can do. Hey, well, the reason we missed eight patients was those are nursing home patients and they don't have any capability to do this. Mm -hmm. And we go, okay, well, we understand that. So we'll accept that. But what about this one? This one's not in the nursing home. Why did this one not meet goal? Mm -hmm. Boom. And so failure analysis, but you have to, to get to the next level, I think the, for organizations and, uh, and small businesses, I think if you have to wire in, I think those two things, one is uh, quality assessment, performance improvement, or total quality management, something like that. You have to have that and you should do it in the beginning. You do it a little bit more because you're really you want people to get used to this process and get this going. And then the other is like a checklist thing where people, the checklist is important because if something doesn't happen in my office, I want to know who's accountable for who was supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if it's as simple as who gets the mail. You know, if this one's away on vacation, this one's getting the mail. And I don't want you to have to just think, Oh, I got to do that. Like we have a front desk checklist and it needs to be checked off. And there's, cause there's so many things to do. I tell people it's like flying a B-52 bomber. They used to crash constantly, but the men could not fly it. Mm -hmm. And the reason they couldn't fly it was because it was too complicated. So you know what they did? They came up with a checklist for flying. It's got, there's a book called the checklist manifesto. You okay. should read it. Checklist manifesto. Yes. Is and it about the plane? It, well, that's like chapter one. But Checklist Manifesto is about why it's important to have checklists and to work off of them. Because if you don't, you miss things. You're going to crash. And so that's why I implemented those checklists, front desk, mine, and, and business office checklists. Because I said, there's so many things happening. I don't want to have to remember. And I just want a piece of paper that shows me. And if something doesn't get done, I circle it and I'm like, hey, you need to do this, or I need to do this, or you need to do that. It makes their accountability because part of the people part is they have to be accountable for stuff. Mm -hmm. If somebody drops off, if there's a meeting that didn't get scheduled, who was supposed to schedule that? If there, if you were supposed to meet with someone and the calendar didn't get updated, who was supposed to make that update? Like I have someone who's in charge of our calendar and scheduling. When someone emails me or I'm going to do a talk with Galen, a mm -hmm. uh, podcast, that goes right to, I have a process for how stuff gets on my calendar. It goes to Amy, Amy checks it, make sure that the schedule is, she knows to block off the schedule. So someone else doesn't book a patient there. 
or we're in a crisis and we're canceling a patient. I have an unhappy patient. I have Galen upset because his day is busy and I didn't make it in time. And you know, yeah, you were here what 10 minutes early, 10 minutes yeah. early. Yeah. And I'm going to go right to work after cause I have systems in place, but I guess this is my point. Those are the, those are the things that you have to wire in and then you can plan your growth and it will grow. And you'll grow beautifully because it's so easy for you to expand when you have these systems in place. And, and that that's where my, I, I guess that's where one is obviously like the idea that I always focus on the failures, not the good stuff, because the good stuff you're just like, I, I'm like, okay, that's good. We did right. it. I, I know this time she's probably like, you know, basking a little bit or really just, you know, and, I, and there is times like that. But I, I guess the, the other part, what I talked about being nervous that we're or not nervous, but like you know, upset with myself that we haven't gotten to a certain level because like a lot of the stuff I can control. The other side of it is I do have a big level of excitement because I know there's a lot of room for growth. Mm-hmm. And it's one where I'm like, okay, I we're getting there. I'm slowly kind of positioning myself. And I think one of the major things that I'm starting to really focus on and had a another guy tell me this who's also runs a business, he goes, he used to work at a place where he'd have like 15 appointments a day. And he goes, there was no think time. There was no time I could, and, I, and I've heard this put uh, mm-hmm. really nicely. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson said this on Joe Rogan's podcast. I don't know if you listen. I do. I love Joe Rogan. Okay. But that one I didn't hear. Okay. So he talked about you need creative time. And for me, I got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I said, I have Galen like the business hat, but I also have Galen like running a company hat. And the problem is I'm not giving enough time to running the company, which mm-hmm. at, at this point in my life, in stage of my career is more important than wearing the business hat Absolutely. or really in the business. I need yeah. to be on the business. And for me, I'm trying to take, uh, Fridays off of appointments. I'm trying to make Friday, like a, a, just a catch all day where I can work on stuff. I can, it's quiet. I can catch up on things that were punted throughout the week, but how much time in a week or a month do you find that you give yourself creative, think quiet time, whatever you call it? It's different for me because I, in the past it was harder. And I think that's why earlier in my career, I like in the early 2000s, it was so hard. My 30s, my 30s were so challenging because I had the kids were little. I was doing sports with them in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, I took them all to karate to give my wife a night off. So I would take them all like Wednesday and Friday and to the base. And that was my time with them. And then it, I was busy on call. I got to tell you, I didn't have time to implement these things. And I would say for the first 10 to 12 years of my practice, when the kids were really little, before they really were doing their things, it was consuming and I didn't take the time uh, to really make my practice what it needed to be. But then I had to give some talks. I sold some software. I did I, some software I developed. Mm-hmm. I had some things happen to me that gave me a little bit of capital to make some changes and also to really take stock. I was traveling and when I would travel, I would read the Hartford Business Review and Science Times. Those were my two magazines to read. And almost always when I read the Harvard Business Review, I don't know if you ever read it, but I, it, I is, haven't, no. it is the best magazine ever for running a business. Because, Harvard Business Magazine? Yeah, yeah okay. Harvard Business Review. A business Review. Okay. Business Review. So I, I would read that and someone, there would be one article in there would be like, get the most out of your employees. Why employee reviews are 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 not a good method. Um, you know, like 360 reviews, all these techniques. I, I would just read that and then I would always bring something back to the office and I'd set up a meeting and I'd like, peeps, we're going to have a meeting. I want to make some changes. I want to do some things. So I would implement stuff. So over those last, then there was like a three to five year transition time. Um, actually, probably from like 2012 to about 2016 that 
I made major changes at my Margaret Street office. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, I need a better space. You and, grow. and I needed to grow. It was going to be a big investment. But I knew I needed that space to get to the next level. Mm-hmm. And so then I got the 52 Tom Miller mm-hmm. building. And when I did that, then I just had a conference room. And that's like central command in the middle of my office. Mm-hmm. That's our brain. I've been in there before. Yes. It's nice. It's a cool place. Yes. I'm going to get you in there because I'm going to give you an updated tour. It's okay. really, we've okay. done some <laughs> cool stuff. But basically, uh, it's, you know, that's, that's when that, when I made that change and the space opened up, then we really started implementing methods on how to do stuff. And I'll give you one other example of why these things are important. Um, Dean and I recently set up this Airbnb, mm-hmm. like a house, a little lake house that we worked mm-hmm. that we worked on because we wa- wanted to invest, but we didn't. We wanted to do something with property. We renovated it, but for about six months before we before we closed, we met with Elliot. I had Elliot, my middle son, who's a business major. I had him write a business plan, formal business plan. How much do you need to? How does Airbnb work? Could we do this? Give us all the details, break it down. And we went through this whole method. Then we started having weekly meetings in the afternoon. Going over, we planned it out. So you, Dina and Elliot. Me, Dina and Elliot. Then we did, uh, then we went through some renovations. We did the work. We got everything together. And then we finished everything up just recently. And literally, I opened it on the calendar in July. Okay. I mean, sorry, in July. In June, June, the beginning of June. And boom, we're full for June, July, and August. Really? Things just packed wow with a five-day minimum five to seven days wow good and for you so but but my point was that i applied everything i use in the office yeah and dean was like what are you doing i'm like well this is the checklist you need to do this this and this and you need to check these off that these were done this is our calendar this message goes out three days before one day before next day and i pre i just went through everything and i did it like a systems it's a protocol anybody could run it you can look at this calendar and you know exactly what you need to do so when when Going back to your business, is a lot of this automated or is it reliant on people to do the task? Um, the tasks, so, well, all the so tasks. So I guess like the email, is the email already scheduled automated or just you, someone no. looks at it and says, okay, I have to go in and make that email. For the Airbnb? I uh, know, sorry, for, oh, for, for my the practice. Yes, so the for my practice, people have to do stuff. I'll give you an example. We have very expensive medications and vaccines that are kept in the office in a medication fridge, mm-hmm. right? That fridge has a temperature log on it. Um, that log has to be monitored every day. If power goes out and something happens, meds can go bad. That can be lots of money lost. Can't happen. Mm-hmm. And so basically I have someone who tracks the temperature. So there's a temperature log. So every month is a checklist. I, someone has to hand me the temperature log. There's this person in my office who's responsible for that. All my little lab, I have controls like the urinalysis machine, the blood work machine, all those little, uh, analyzers need to be uh, calibrated every month. Well, who does that? Well, that's been assigned to someone and it's on their checklist to do. Then I have sample meds. Hey, you need an antibiotic. Well, you don't have to go to the store. I'm just going to give you some samples. We have to make sure they're not expired. You don't want to give a patient expired medication. Mm -hmm. Someone has to check that and know. And I want to know, when are we due to order new ones? When do those expire? And so even our urine dipsticks, they expire. There are so many expiration dates in a medical office. And I will tell you, most people aren't doing this. But if the state, if anybody comes into our office and they want to know how things look, all I do is I hand them a one month of checklist. And I do, we do this every month. Take a look. Mm-hmm. And then they'll see the updates. They see the things we've done and what, and our list. And we don't miss one thing because if a guideline changes and someone's like, hey, you need to check this. We just, I say, yes, I just perfect. text one of them and I say, hey, you need to add this to your checklist. 
Or if we're having a problem with something, please add this to the checklist. And every month you go over those checklists. Every month we have a checklist meeting. Gotcha. And, um, and that includes employee stuff like, hey, did we get the retirements sent in to the retirement fund? Did everybody get their health savings deposit? Did anybody take a loan on their 401k and have to make a payment back? Like all these different things that add up when you run a small business mm -hmm. that can be overwhelming unless you organize it. Yeah. Once you're organized and you have checklists and that's, that's something I would work on. That's why going through every process that you do mm -hmm. and you got to take the time to draw it out. Once you do that, you can then figure out what really needs stuff. But ask, you don't have to do it. I like the draw toast method. Though. Draw toast is great for solving a problem. Mm -hmm. draw, draw toast is great for, for solving a problem. But for things that are like, how do you enter a new person into whatever yep, this system MLS, is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that if you hired a new person, you're going to have to show them how to use the software. Why do you want to have to do that? You should just say, hey, what, what, you have a new employee pamphlet. Hey, here's your how to's. This is how you enter a new patient. That way, mm -hmm. after you show them and done it once with them, if they're stuck, they don't have to call you. Hey, Galen, I don't remember how to do this. Oh no, here it is. It's on your how to. Oh yeah, I do this, this, and this. So that, that is such a like big A one A project that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. and, and what I was telling you, it's like, it's been there for like two years because I, I know it was needed. But you got to get on it. It's the time. So it's like I said, I, for me, I looked at it as I don't know if I have the time to do it. That's why we're bringing someone on mm -hmm. basically to help me as a right-hand person. But like I'll meet with you, but you're going to be doing 95% of it. I'll, I'll, I'll talk with you about it. But like the actual physical, like making it sure it's a checklist, I can't, I don't have time to do it. Yeah. And that's the thing right. where I was looking at. I'm like, so. Well, I the can, other thing you can do is you can assign it to people who are doing things and say, listen, I want you to make a daily, just for like the next log. week, I want you to log just the things you do over and over each day. Like, a, And then I want kind of a checklist of things. And then you add on to that checklist, if there's anything in the office that needs to be done routinely, what are the things you have to do once a month? Do you have to report to anybody about sales? Are there any things that have to be done? Like, what are those weekly or monthly things that need to be done that you have to close out in a week. Mm -hmm. Um, well, you know, maybe, uh, maybe there's something where you want to look at all your closings and want to make sure that those files get closed and that they're logged and that something gets scanned into a folder. That's how you close a deal out. Well, that's part of it. Did you, did you close all the closings? You know, did you do this? Did you communicate with all the banks on this, this, and this? Are there any forms that are supposed to be filed by you guys? Well, are, that can be part of the checklist. And who does that? Whose job is it to do that? That, that makes people accountable for those certain things because that's the other part of it that you want. It's not like, oh, you have to take three steps and open this folder and how to that way. Mm. It's very much, um, a method. I, I tell you, it's like other technique. I, um, I'll give you another example that's helpful for me. I have a home uh, blood pressure monitoring system. So for my elderly people, like if I needed to track your blood pressure at home, you'd buy yourself a little Bluetooth machine. You'd be hooking up to your phone. You'd be texting me and emailing me. And my young patients are amazing. Mm -hmm. But if you're 80 and you have high blood pressure and you don't have an iPhone or you can't see it, you don't know what Bluetooth is. Bluetooth is this tooth over here. Yeah. It's blue. And, uh, and I have a system now where I can send them a blood pressure machine to their house, all pre-programmed, and it's cell connected. It's got a cell signal in it. So I tell them, hey, you're going to get a machine in the mail. Just use it. Don't worry about it. Just put your arm in it. Push the button. And when they do, every time they do a reading, it gets sent to me through cell signal. And it's covered by Medicare. Bottom line, it's called remote patient monitoring. So I have this system. 
when they use that, I had to have a method for how do I track who's using it? How do I, I had to set up systems. I didn't just get this thing going and then haphazardly do it. I, I uh, set up some check boxes in our, in our health system. And so when I sign someone up for the program, my front staff gets a message. They know exactly what they have to do. All right, I have to go into their quick view. I have to set them to remote patient monitoring active. What date and did they sign the consent? Boom, boom, boom. Then I know, all right, we got all the legal stuff covered. And then we go into our monthly tracking and I have a work list that someone works off of to go through to make sure we're tracking all the blood pressures and looking at everybody's data and calling people who are having problems. So, I mean, these are the things where you look at some process or something you want to do that's new or something you're thinking of expanding into and you want to analyze it and break it down because you don't want to take on something and then have it fall and have it fail. And it won't if you plan ahead mm -hmm. and then you plan ahead with utilizing other people. And I think the other thing and that's hard as a business owner is we have to let go of certain things that we used to do all the time. I did all the business management for my office, but when I hired this business manager, you know, and she's awesome and that I was allowed to like that opened up my time, mm -hmm. which you asked about. And like, that is so important to have that time. And then my kids got older and now I feel like I have all this time. So like I'm embroidering hats, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like <laughs> I have time to do stuff, which I didn't have before. And I feel really great about it, but you know, I'm also 22 years ahead of you. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm 53 now and it's like, but those thirties, where you are now, yeah. I don't even think I was thinking the way you're thinking yet. I was too busy to think. And yeah. you're now taking the time thinking about that growth. I think you're 10 years ahead of where I was because it was at probably 40 when I had the realizations that you're having that, hey, I have to expand. I got to improve how I'm doing things. Yeah. And I think right now the fact that I'm putting so much thought and, and emphasis on it. Mm -hmm. And even though it's not in place yet, I just think the fact that I'm really conscious about it and knowing that this has to be done and not, um, so I know I'm on the right path. It's just slowly, it's, I mean, it's, it's a work in progress, obviously, but it's like, it's just trying to figure everything out. Um, so kind of want to jump into maybe some stuff that's a little more, uh, non-business, non-business, <laughs> non, 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 uh, kidney is, yes. uh, you're, I mean, I just know you as like the music guy. I mean, I know you obviously do, uh, you know, kidneys and stuff. That's yeah. like, I know right. what you do yes. as a job, but like, I think what, what I see more of you, cause I luckily I haven't had to go see you for anything is Thank that God. I see you doing music. Right. And so when did that start? And if anybody has not heard you, I'm going to plug you, but you're absolutely incredible. Oh, thank you. Like guitar Appreciate player, that. singer, um, I haven't heard Jack in a while, but Jack he's is amazing. A great, he's and that's your oldest, that's my son, oldest but, son. Yeah, but Jack is absolutely incredible and good voice, good, good. Obviously, guitar playing. Two albums on Spotify. Just look I, up I have Animal one of. Project. Oh, he has two. Yep, I got there's an, another one. Animal Project was the first Animal one. Project, and it's Good one. Reason. It's the same band name, but it's called Good Reason. I'll have to get it because I have his album. first one on, and I've yeah, and it's his second album is awesome too. Um, so how did you get into that? Yeah, so I mean, I grew up playing guitar. And my parents are both great musicians and I always loved music. And actually when I was in college, I was in a really good band, The Source. And, you know, we played a lot of original music and that's how I met Dina. I met my wife because she kind of was, had a crush on my keyboard player. And, <laughs> and I was like, damn, that girl's so cute. And then I kind of slowly worked in there. <laughs> but bottom line is, is, uh, you know, music has always been central part of what I did. And I love guitar. And actually when I was in college, I thought I was going to be a musician and I told my parents and I you know this band. 
this was before really med school. Good. This was before med school. And when I was working in a neurology lab with Copen, who was one of my big mentors, who got me to go to med school. I was playing in the band and I'd be, I'd play out till like three in the morning and then I would, uh, and then I'd go to work and work on brains in the morning. So it was pretty fun. But I mean, you know, music has always been there and med school, I played a bunch of gigs in the city. I was in Brooklyn and I would play at like, you know, the back fence and these cool clubs in like the village. And then when I got uh, to UVM, I'd play gigs there like Sweetwaters and Red Square. And then when I got here, I've been playing and same you thing. know, same thing. So it's just always been a part of what I do. I just love it. How, uh, what age do you start playing guitar i play guitar since like first grade I mean, uh, so do you play any other instruments not as well as guitar but okay. i can play some bass i can play some piano but i'm not really a piano player um but i can noodle on other instruments um i love cajon that's my new favorite other i don't instrument. even know what that is the cajon is the drum that you sit on <laughs> oh and you it's bang like a cuban on. Drum. yeah it's like a cuban drum oh, okay yeah. so that that i love playing that so so, the, like, when I watch you play guitar, and I've tried playing guitar, I, you know, I can do basic chords, but I, that's about it. I mean, it's, um, but I just watch you, like, work your way up and down the neck of the guitar, and, like, you're singing, you're not looking at your hand, and you're playing some intricate songs. It's not just, like, strumming a G and a C yeah, and a D chord. Right. I mean, you're playing some crazy, um, funky you know, stuff. funky stuff, yeah. So, um, is the funky, what's, what, what's the your, funky bats was funky the old bats. Band. I say funky bunch, but, yeah. funky bats, but. Um, I mean, where did the, at what point did you really like start to click? Like I like guitar is now second nature, man. Yeah, I don't like, think about it. You know, it was in sixth and seventh grade. I was playing a lot of electric. Like I loved Leonard Skinner. I yep. loved Southern rock. That was me. And if you ever listen to me, so you'll hear that. Yeah. You'll okay. hear my, you'll hear their licks in what I play all the time. Um, but I loved Boston and I love classic rock and I grew up on that kind of music mm -hmm. and, um, and then, you know, but it was in high school, middle school, high school that I really started to get my chops up. And then college, I was, I had a guitar teacher, Matt Smith. He took me to the next level of my thinking about how to play. And then, but it wasn't until I was like 21, I just got out of college and I didn't play acoustic. I was all electric. Literally, really? I didn't even pick up an acoustic guitar. I had no when desire to play acoustic. When you were a kid, you never, it was in your Nope, thing? it was all electric. Okay. And I was just shred. Like, I, it was all I wanted to do was shred. And then I got, oh, I, was, I was taking lessons from this guy, Matt Smith, and there was a great band in Albany called Strange Arrangement, an acoustic duo. And they would get thousands of people at the door. They would play big gigs. Okay. And so one guy was going away for six months, and they needed a fill-in for acoustic, acoustic duo. They had some big gigs set up. It was like going to be, you know, about four or 500 bucks a night. It was big money, three nights a week. Wow. And so my, my music teacher, my guitar teacher was like, Craig, you should go audition. You know, you can sing, you play some songs. This guy, Dan Sherwin's an awesome guy. I know him. And I was like, all right, good hook me up. And I went out there. I played with him and he was like, yeah, you're going to do it. Can you learn these 60 songs? And I was like, yeah, I'll learn them all. I learned, you know, so I just sat there, learned all these songs on acoustic, started on acoustic. He had to, I, I had a shitty acoustic. He bought me a new acoustic. Wow. And then I just paid him back from the gigs and we played, you know, I played with him and he's been my best friend ever since, since we were 21. I was 21. What, he was like what kind of guitar you play? I play Takamini. I played Takamini's all those years. Okay. Now I play a rain song, which is like a carbon fiber guitar. Oh, so very cool. Yeah. I um, love my guitars. So when you, when you say learn 60 songs, how hard is it to learn 60 songs? You know, there were a lot of classic tunes so some of them weren't hard it was a lot of neil young it was a lot of stuff people wanted to hear in the it was like you know the, the early 90s it was okay. like i played with him a lot from like 91 to 95 um but it was uh you know it was just learning these songs learning the solos because these songs people would come out to see this band and you want to hear 
the songs the way they play them every night. So yeah. I had to learn the other guy's solos exactly how he played them. Um, but it was really good. If you want to hear a couple of those songs, I'll be playing them this weekend <laughs> at uh, the Old Soul Artisan Show, which is at Oval Brewing. What, what uh, there's a couple, like I, I've seen you, I've probably seen you maybe a half a dozen times yeah, or so here and there. Places. And um, there's a few there's a few songs you guys play really good, and there's there's one you always end up playing. I I, I don't know it's I don't know if it's an original or if it's a cover, but I always think like this. I think it's I think it's a cover, but I'm like this is Craig's song, and I don't remember. Is it wh- called Simple Solutions? Yes, that's it. Okay, so that is like my favorite song because you play. always play it. And I'm like it's I just, always this play. Is Craig Hurwitz that's song. me, but it's not my song. It is original, written by my friend Dan Sherwin, okay. who's the guy who hired me to play with the duo. So it's one of those strange arrangement songs. But Dan wrote it, and it's he's a written up. It's a great song. He's got so many great tunes um and he just never he almost made it big like their band uh was really great and i'm talking like they were very close to getting signed and just going over the edge but it just never got there but this guy's got song after song of just hits and you still play with him when you i can? still play with him he was just up this last weekend he nice. came up to hang so out. you guys just jam at the house all yeah we jam like uh he he plays for a living so he you know he's the, like one of the busiest musicians and things just opened up post covid yeah. for musicians so all the golf clubs are getting him again at the restaurants and he's really busy he lives in albany latham and plays in saratoga and all those areas down there and when he comes up here he wants to relax and he's not interested in playing so he and i just do projects so we built some stairs when he was up, oh, like okay. on my little so we do man things um, you know so so the uh and, and you get to, so i always i'm always curious people that can really play guitar so like if you were okay you get the guitar you stand on stage and you play like what do you are you focusing on what you're playing is that just like your hands are just going and you're just like it's, your hands just crawling. You're just kind of thinking I'm, maybe the lyrics. I, I guess one way to think about it is like a golf swing. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking about your grip and all the different parts of your golf swing when you're swinging the club? No, you're a good golfer. Like to you, that's second nature. You just grab the club. You kind of it's it's muscle memory. You mm-hmm. know what you're doing. Guitar is muscle memory. Um, a lot of it. So when I'm playing these songs, especially if I'm playing a gig, if I'm not really out, you know playing out doing something trying to get on a limb musically um but i'm playing just like to make people happy in a bar yeah that's second nature for me so like i i i enjoy like when i get a good groove i know the songs you play the crowd a little bit and i can see a couple people bobbing to the music and i'm like all right i got those i got them they're in there they're in this song as a matter of fact i'm not even gonna start singing yet because they're kind of moving and i'm just just gonna let them enjoy this just keep looping it i just well i'll loop something or i'll just play a groove and i'll just keep playing it and then i'll come in when i think it's ready um so it's funny yeah so i've always like acoustic the reason i like i love acoustic music so like uh like dave matthews band i love dave matthews like oar uh i don't know if you know dispatch no i don't know Dispatch. i love dispatch they started in uh, middlebury but Mm -hmm. i'm actually seeing them now i'm gonna have to listen to them higher ground they're one of my favorite bands are they at higher ground they're playing two nights at higher ground that's awesome probably Uh, sold out i they might they Mm, because like my first time ever watched them was 2011 at uh, td garden they sold out three nights in a row wow so now they're like probably not as big. So they're a great band. If you look into them, they're one of my favorites. But I start like looking at these bands, um, and that's just my kind of music. So the music you play, I just I absolutely love. So yeah, um, that's cool. Great. I don't know what time it is, but we're. I think we're kind of getting close on time, and I'm I don't sure. want to get your. Uh, because yeah, I no. literally could ask you a gazillion. Other yeah, questions. no, I'm, that was awesome, we're, man. We're I really good, right? enjoyed. Time, yeah, yeah, time it's eleven forty. We'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. Make sure that we're not. Uh, 
too over. We're not, we're not ticking or we're not making mad your, your schedule. And I think as far as the music goes, one other thing, and this is with the kids, is making music available to the kids is so awesome. I mean, you and Gina are such sports people that we know your kids are going to have that exposure mm-hmm. because that's a part of your lives. Um, for us, it was always like there was always music stuff around and the kids gravitated to instruments. We had that and, room on the, the, I guess, what the north side of your house. It's yes, just like a big music exactly, room. Exactly. And there's a big piano in there and yeah, like all I the look in and all these there. guitars just yes, sitting around and I'm like exactly. it's almost like just cr- grab something and play and we laugh because we w- go back and we watch old videos of the kids and like they're with their long hair and they're just shredding on the well, guitar and it's so fun to my, go back my, and look. my favorite is Jack I know is great and I'm like so I always like consider you guys like a Von Trapp family like <laughs> like so Dina can play the flute and then uh uh Jack's playing guitar Hallie has this absolutely beautiful voice and I'm like well, Elliot, obviously, they can't have five for five. Elliot's right. like the soccer guy. He's right. like playing sports. All of a sudden, he gets up and starts playing piano. And right. he's like, he's like wooing like women there with his piano skills. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm going? like, Elliot. And, and I was, yeah, I can play that too. I'm like, yeah. okay, you guys are just like so, so musically talented. Um, but uh, they're all into music. Hallie's actually gotten really good and she's playing guitar now. Oh, nice. And they can well, she was solo. playing the ukulele last time she I saw her. She was playing ukulele, yeah. but she plays guitar beautifully too. And she writes music. I mean, her... She, Hallie's really, she is the triple threat. She's got all of it. She is. Well, her voice is beautiful. Her voice She's done some great. great songs with you guys. Yep. And, I mean, like you and her just jamming on the couch and all of a sudden sure. she just comes across. I'm like, what? I'm like, this, this family, like every time I hear one of them do something, I'm like, I know. how did they, like, where did they have that skill? And all of a sudden it's like perfected. And <laughs> that's so, so funny. So, like so good. It's but great. Um, we're fortunate. Craig, I'm, I'm really pumped that you came on. This was yeah, great. Thank you so much. I've missed Galen. seeing you. Yeah. It's just likewise. Been, like it's, likewise. it's been a while. And all and the best to your family and, yeah. and everybody. Yeah. So I uh, um, appreciate it. Well, if uh, I, I guess I don't want to say if anybody needs you because I don't want them to need you. No, but exactly. There but I'm available. Yeah, yeah. So I guess so kind of plug Northern your business, Apology. and if they need you, or if there's anybody that needs out like kidney care or dialysis. Yes, of course. Hopefully, you just don't need dialysis off the street. Yeah. But uh, you know, northernnephrology.com. That's our website, and uh, and music. That's us. Give, give us a plug on the music. Oh, so cause... the music. I got two gigs this weekend on Saturday, um, playing at uh, for Katie Teeny's uh, Old Soul. She's doing an artisan show. Uh, which is really fun outside at Oval Brewing. And then I'm playing the same night uh, at Mooney Bay Marina, Cafe oh, Mooney nice. Bay from uh, like six to eight. So come by, have dinner on the water. Not Check a bad, it out. Not a bad late gig for you, right? That's right. Perfect. All right. All right perfect. Uh, that is episode 138 of the Galen Trombley Show. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.